Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing, don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in Canton, Ohio And during a BA and an MA from Case Western Reserve University and a PhD from Kent State University. He and his wife, Randy, have adopted 10, say it again, 10 children. The author of 16 books, he's a clinical psychologist, an authority on parenting and behavioral issues, and he hosts a radio show entitled The Doctor Is In on over 400 stations nationwide. His latest book is Jesus, the Master Psychologist. His name, Dr. Ray Gorenke. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything Is Possible on News Talk 760 WJI. I'm Jack Crisula, this is Anything Is Possible, and our guest this week is a clinical psychologist and authority on parenting and behavioral issues. And his newest book is entitled Jesus, the Master Psychologist, Dr. Ray Garendi. Doctor, welcome, an honor to have you back. Hey, thank you, Jack, I appreciate it. Can we start by you leading us in an opening prayer this evening? Sure. Dear Lord, help Jack and I to say good things. Help us to give some thoughts, ideas that help people to live better lives and to grow closer to you. Thank you for giving us the ability to do this. It's all your gift. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, we're talking to Dr. Ray Garendi, and he's known as the genius of shrinks. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that one? At least in his own mind. <laughs> At least in his own mind. <laughs> the genius of shrinks. Okay. Uh, talk about your childhood and your mom and your dad, please. Italian. You, had, you were not allowed to move more than a mile from your mother's house. And you should live next door, actually. But all the aunts and uncles were within a two-mile radius. Sundays were at Grandma's house. That's the way it was. That's the law. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I became a scofflaw and moved about six miles away, I'll tell you what, I had to, I had to herd myself back into good graces. But uh, Italian families are tight. What's the biggest thing you learned from Mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from Dad? I'm working on a chapter right now talking about my father and how he insisted on open affection. You hugged your dad. You kissed your dad. I do this with my own children. There was no way I'm gonna let my kids tell their dad, don't, don't look at me in public. That's not gonna happen. Jack, I remember one time I went down before a basketball game. My son was playing. I gave him a kiss on the cheek. I hugged him. And I gave him my standard, my standard encouragement. I said, hey, Petey, now remember, don't stink the joint out. He laughed. You know, Jack, he told me later, some of the boys came up to him and said, I wish my dad would do that. How about that, huh? Talking about breaking teen etiquette, and the boys are saying, I wish my dad was more affectionate. That's really a lot of what I learned from my dad. And from your mom? My mom was a mosquito. She was active, moving, dancing, everything she she attacked her chores i'm like my mom in chores you got to get your chores done before you can relax 
Before I came on with you today, I had to do my chores. Then I could have a nice visit with you. What inspired you to become a psychologist, Dr. Ray? An accident, Jack. I was in engineering at Case Tech. And then I realized when I got a 31 on a physics exam that I maybe, maybe wasn't cut out for this. You know, Jack, you can't, you can't climb out of a 31 on a physics exam. I had to drop the course. I went into law, pre-law. I was all excited. I thought, I'll get my master's degree in psychology. I'll head into law school. Well, I found out that I, I like the psychology stuff. I stayed with it and went on and got the PhD and, well, I thought I'd sit in an office 12 hours a day, but that's been a little different. I do, I do a number of things, including visit with folks like you. Ray, I quote you now. I left the church for eight years. I was kind of a new atheist. The old atheist said, there's no God, therefore I can do whatever I want. The new atheist says, there is a God who thinks just like me. Please. Well, that's, that is a much more comfortable way to be an atheist because I, in essence, am God. If he thinks just like me, we're one. So therefore, I make my own rules and I am perfectly good because I make the rules. So by definition, I can believe and yet still do as I please. What a gig, Jack. As a psychologist, that's a win-win-win. However, it goes against reality. I quote you again, I didn't leave, but I defected on sight. So <laughs> I said that. Wow. I can't remember saying that one. That's a good one. Oh, uh, what changed? You've come back to the Catholic Church. What changed? When I was in engineering, we had to know reality. We had to know formulas. If if you and I disagreed on formulas, the bridge would fall down. One of us had the right formulas. I got to thinking, what did Jesus tell us about his church and what he wanted? I had to look historically backward and say, there are 35,000 plus denominations in the United States, according to the Oxford Dictionary of Christian Denominations. Now, I really wanted to know, Jack, I, Jack it got so bad that I was, I was really hanging on to Christianity by my fingertips. Because I kept thinking, well, what do you know? How can you, what do you believe? Does it matter if I kill a baby in the womb or not? Um, what, are, what are the morals? Do I, do I confess sins to a priest or don't I? Can I pray for my mother or don't I? All of those things I had questions about and I searched. I went back into the early church, and if you go back in the early church with an open mind, you're going to see it looks very, very much like the Catholic Church today. We're talking to Dr. Ray Gurindy. When we come back, we're going to ask him to talk to the people that are mad about the Vatican, the Pope, the bishops, and for that reason, have quit going. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Jack Pasula, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Dr. Ray Garendi, who hosts a national radio show entitled The Doctor is In on over 400 stations. Dr. Ray, I'm a Catholic. I'm mad at the Pope. 
I met at the Vatican. I met at these bishops. And I've quit going and I don't want to come back. Why should I? I know people who have divorced. If I say, well, look at that. That must be what marriage is. I want no part of marriage. They've divorced. There's a phrase, Jack, that you don't look at how people don't live something. You look at how they live it. If you want to know what the Catholic Church is, what it can be, you look at Mother Teresa. You don't look at the priests who, they're very, very small in number, but they're there. You don't look at those priests and say, look how evil they were in their behavior. That must be the Catholic Church. That's not the Catholic Church. They acted directly against the Catholic Church. The Pope, if he says things that can confuse someone, that doesn't mean he's not the Pope. And up to this point, there hasn't been a single piece of Catholic teaching, doctrine, that has been changed. There's been some confusion. That can happen. But where, where would I go, Jack? St. Peter said to our Lord after our Lord said something that really shook him up. You must eat my flesh. Can you imagine saying that to Jews at that time? Bunch of people left. St. Peter says, where do we go? And he said, we have no place to go. And that's where I'm at. If the Catholic Church isn't legitimate, I don't Dr. have any Ray, place to go. Speaking of marriage, how was it Randy and you adopted 10 children? It's like eating potato chips, Jack. You always think you can eat one more until you get sick. Uh, <laughs> we couldn't have any children. I had a condition called Sertoli-only cell syndrome. Now, my grandmother was happy it was Italian. However, it made me totally unable to conceive. We said, let's see if we can adopt one child, maybe two if we're lucky. There's a secret, Jack, back when. If you are open to children of any race or special needs, you can adopt many more and much more quickly. And that's what we did. My wife said once, she said, if not us, who? We have a good marriage. We have the resources. We're not scared of kids. Uh, we have authority. Uh, let's keep going. And we did. Plus, Jack, there for a while, I wasn't paying any taxes because I had so many child tax credits. We're talking to Dr. Ray Gerundi, a man of many talents and gifts, one of which is a great sense of humor. <laughs> At least he believes he has a great... Randy, don't know... <laughs> And if you've been watching The Chosen, you've heard that line, if not now, when? So, um, okay, what's the difference between raising the first child and raising the 10th, right? Oh, I'm down about 70 IQ points. Oh, they suck off your IQ points. You get to the point where, okay, with our first kid, we boiled everything he came within 50 feet of. The last kid, we threw him a big dirt ball. Say, here, chew on this. Wipe your mouth off in the gas can before you come in the house. With our ninth child, when he was about two, three months old, somebody asked my wife, is Petey sleeping through the night yet? My wife said, I don't know if he is, but we are. I, you know, you get to that point. And you relax. It makes it easier. It's, it's more fun. What's the biggest thing you and Randy have learned 
from raising 10 adopted children? Uh, it's interesting you'd ask that question because right as we speak, not more than 15 minutes ago, I was working on my latest book on what we had learned from having 10 children. The biggest thing we learned, there are no guarantees. We can do everything we can to give them the love, the guidance, the discipline, the morals, the religion that we can. But they're growing up in a culture that is pretty anti-God and they're growing up in a culture that says, here, come and, come and look at all this stuff rather than thinking on the deeper matters of life. And so in the end, I tell some people, I've got kids who are probably going to serve the church. I got others may serve time. Uh, speaking of writing a book, you've written 16 of them already. And the latest one is Jesus, the master psychologist. So let's go through a few chapters, if you would. Sure. Um, first, who is the man? Who is Jesus? Right. One of the dumbest things people can say about Jesus, and it sounds smart, was Jesus is a good man. Jack, I'm a shrink. If somebody walks in my office and for one hour talks beautifully, logically, rationally, at the end of the hour they say, did I tell you I'm George Washington? I'm back from the dead and I'm going to run for presidency. Now, I now know that that person is delusional, a serious false belief that clashes with reality. Jesus said, I'm God. Now, he said it many times. If you say, well, no, he never said that. What evidence do you have that he never said that? If you say he was a good man, but yet he thought he was God, he was a crazy man. He wasn't a good man or he was a liar. So the whole book is premised on this, Jack. If Jesus was who he said he was, you have to listen to him because he knows exactly the best way to live. He's also our best friend, by the way, Ray. You know, in one part of the gospel, the sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without our father knowing it. And God knows every hair on our head. For you, that's a lot of knowing. For me, with my hair, <laughs> Jesus and God are our best friend we'll ever have. Your best friend knows you inside and out. If that's one of the criterion for having a best friend, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. So he's a better friend to you than you are because he wants what's best for you. We don't always want what's best for us. Chapter three, unworthy of self-worth, please. <laughs> if Jesus were in a counseling class, he'd flunk out because he said, when you do what you're supposed to do, don't expect celebration. Don't expect accolades. Say, I'm an unworthy servant. Or one translation, Jack, says, I'm a worthless servant. Now, what kind of language is that? Huh? That goes totally against the self-esteem gospel of our times. Worthless servant? But what Jesus was saying was, don't reach for status, for accolades, for celebration, for thumbs up, for sticker systems, when you do what is good and right. That is your reward. And you know the irony? This is why he's psychologically correct, as he always is. 
The people who reach for celebration, status, and accolades are never satisfied. There is never enough to satisfy. We're talking to Father, Father or we're talking to Dr. Ray Grandi. I'm sorry. His TV show entitled Living Right with Dr. Ray on EWTN reaches 350 million homes in 145 countries. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with Dr. Ray Gurendi. Living right with Dr. Ray on EWTN reaches 350 million homes in 145 countries. Dr. Chapter, humility is reality. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. If we know who we are in God's eyes, Jack, we're going to automatically have humility. Let's say that you and I are standing over an anthill and I say, hey, Jack, look down there. You see that one ant? That's the smartest ant on the hill. Over there, that ant over there, he's the strongest ant on the hill. And the one up there, he is ruler of the whole, co of the whole colony. Now, Jack, would you be impressed with those ants' status not at all. Not at Not all. At because they're ants, right? The distance between ants and us is infinitesimal compared to the distance between us and God. God is not going to look down on somebody and say, Hey, do you know that he was MVP five years in a row? Do you know that that is the top-selling artist in the nation's history? Come on into heaven! That's meaningless to God. We think it's very important, but to God, he says, in my economy, you have humility, you know where you stand. And those things may be pleasant for you and you may, you may chase them, but that is not where your value lies. Your value lies because I declare it, because I declare you are infinitely valuable no matter what you achieve or don't achieve. Okay, as I read the book, the first five chapters, I, I got through it, but you went off the rails on chapter six with <laughs> seek to be meek. <laughs> well, it depends. If you look up meek in the thesaurus, Jack, it's got a lot of bad words people don't like. Pathetic, um, uh, unsure, tentative. Those, those are ugly words in our culture. So what did our Lord mean by meek? He meant, don't take your status above others. Recognize that in God's eyes, we are all completely equal. That's his definition of meek. It doesn't mean I am a doormat. It doesn't mean I say, oh, oh, I just, oh no, I, I was with Jack and I, I don't deserve to be there. Nothing like that. That is a total twisted perversion of the word meek. Our Lord's meek is strength. Jack, if someone says to me, Ray, you're an idiot. I don't like what you say. I don't like how you talk. I think you don't know how to think straight. Now, a meek response 
would probably be, well, okie doke, all I have to worry about is whether you're true about me or not. That's all I have to worry about. A meek response is a strong response. I'm not going to have to lord myself against you because of what you said. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to come back. I can be meek about it. Okay, I got you. And the interesting thing is, Jack, the most settled, non-anxious people are those who are meek because they're not constantly seeking status. Years ago, doctor, I was listening to uh, Dr. Robert Schuler, The Hour of Power. This was probably in the 70s or 80s. And he had a thing about blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And he said, meek stood for mature, educatable, emotionally stable, and kind. That was his definition of meek. So, okay. Um, chapter 7, Quay Bono. Hmm. <laughs> when Peter went up to our Lord... And he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Now, you notice that Peter was not linguistically sensitive, Jack. Did you notice that? He used the word brother. He should have said, how many times am I supposed to forgive my sibling? I guess he just wasn't up on the modern language. And he said, seven times? And Jesus figured, okay, I'm going I'm to give Peter a little education here. Peter was probably figuring, the rabbis say three times. Three times and you're gone. I'll say seven because Jesus is more merciful than the rabbis. Jesus looked at him and said, seven times 70, which doesn't mean 490. It means completely and always. Jack, I figured it out. I don't have to forgive completely or always. As a matter of fact, Jack, I think I have to forgive about half the time. You know why that is? Because I've realized that much of the time that I think I have to forgive somebody, there's nothing to forgive. I was offended in my head. I misread their motives. I took it personally. I got angry when they meant no ill intent. But because I, I think I'm a good guy, I'll say to myself, well, I'll forgive him. When in fact, Jack, I was wrong. There was nothing to forgive. The thing about forgiveness is, if I forgive you, Jack, uh, okay, you benefit. But I benefit more. Because if I don't forgive, it eats away at me, destroys my peace, and keeps me rehearsing the offense. Forgiveness is to my good more than yours. Dr. Ray, guilty as charged for me on that one. Guilty as charged. So, chapter 8, true gold. They talk about the golden rule as the nice summary of how to live. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And there were variants of the golden rule, even in Jesus' time, the rabbis talked about it, etc., etc. But you notice, Jack, that the golden rule makes no sense whatsoever unless it is paired with love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if I don't, if I want to live by the golden rule, but I don't believe in God, What's to stop me from saying, hey, Jack, uh, you know, I really like being high on cocaine. Uh, can you give me some? Because that's what I want you to do for me. I'm into pornography, Jack. You want to come and watch this new one I just downloaded here? This is a great one. Because that's what I want. I want you to do unto me as I want you to do. And if I am not bound by God's way of living, <laughs> my golden rule can be self-destructive. 
So that's the nice thing about the golden rule. If in fact you start out with love of God, then you will move toward love of self and you will move towards doing good to others as you would have them do to you. Simple summary. Talking to Dr. Ray Gurendi, he and his wife Randy have adopted 10 children. And we're talking about his newest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Okay, 12, the chip off the old block. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus was pretty blunt. He didn't say, get the speck out of your eye so you can remove the speck from somebody else's eye. He said, get the log out of your eye. Jack, logs blind people. They're huge. What he was saying is not so much, if you want to correct somebody, fix yourself first. What he was saying was, you don't see yourself. I'm a psychologist, Jack. No matter what I say in therapy, if that person listening to me doesn't have a little bit of insight into who he is, we're not going to get anywhere. Insight is the number one thing you have to have about yourself to improve as a person, to improve as a Christian. When I left the church, I didn't go to confession for eight years. And I said, well, I'm a sinner. But that's about all the farther I went. I didn't look at how I was a sinner. I didn't have to. God had already forgiven me. When I went back to the Catholic Church, the first time I went back to confession, I was shell-shocked. I got to think about it now. I got to look at myself and try to see what God sees. I hadn't done that for eight years. I was trying to chip away at that log, which by the way, logs, logs grow. They grow. How many people will tell me in counseling, my mother-in-law, she just doesn't see what she's like. My wife, I can't live with her. My dad, he is the most stubborn individual, but he thinks everybody else is stubborn and he thinks he's the most open-minded guy in the world. Jesus says, get that log out of your eye or you won't grow closer to me or anybody else. I've met a lot of people who laugh at their own jokes, but this man is the first man that every time I give him the title of a chapter of his book, he laughs. <laughs> you know what I'm laughing at? I'm laughing at the fact that you actually read it because the word on the street is you like scratch and sniff books. With a lot of pictures, with a lot of pictures. And I'm Jack Basula, and this is Anything Is Possible on Newsbox 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything.
I'm Jack Petula. This is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Dr. Ray Gorendi. Zig Pickford used to say it's a lot easier to get a new audience than a new speech. And this man, Dr. Ray Gorendi, has given over 3,000 speeches in his life. So, okay, chapter 13, inflated value. Dr. Ray. The one thing that Jesus talked more about than anything else was greed and materialism. He said that is the danger to your soul, that you seek stuff. Jack, we are the richest culture in the history of the world. The way that we live is far beyond what most kings in the history of the world lived. The way we dress, the way we eat, what we have. And for many, it's never enough. We continue to strive. It's interesting, the, the Old Testament standard for giving was 10%, the tithe. The New Testament standard, if you really want to go for it, is 50%. Jesus says, you have two coats, give to the person who has none. Can you imagine, Jack, if those of us who called ourselves Christians were more generous? Every mission could be supported. We could start schools that teach the faith. We could, we could take care of all seminarians who wanted to go to seminary. We'd pay for everything. Even if we just gave 5 to 10%. Even if we just did that. So, the warning from Jesus is you better watch out for this stuff because it has a seductive pull and it'll pull you away from me. And the only way to conquer it is to start giving some of it away. That's the only way to conquer it because otherwise it will own you. I'll give you my checking account number to wire the money in the morning. <laughs> my bank told me not to take your checks. They said, get cash from that guy. Okay. Uh, chapter 14, stop it. <laughs> Somebody will say to me, how do I exercise more? And I'll say, well, you begin by exercising more. Well, how do I talk nice to my father-in-law? Talk nice to your father-in-law. How do I quit yelling at my kids? Quit yelling at your kids. Jack, we are a how-to culture. We have books and books and books and books and books that say, here's how you do it. And people will say to me in therapy constantly, how do I feel more comfortable? How do I get less anxious? How do, how do, how do, how do? We've forgotten the will, Jack. I tell people, I can give you 20 how-tos. I can't give you the will to do those how-tos. Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Well, that sounds kind of simplistic, doesn't it? What do you mean, don't be anxious? That's like saying, cheer up. Relax. What's he saying? He's saying you have it within you should you decide to go a long way to take care of some of these things that you think you have to have a formula or a technique to get rid of. Jack, one time I had a panic attack. I was on a ball field. I didn't know what it was. It just hit me real hard. My heart raced up to about 180. I couldn't catch my breath. I got lightheaded. So fortunately it was practice. I knelt down and it didn't go away. It did not go away. Now most people who have panic attacks, they panic about the panic. 
They either go to the emergency room, they think they're having a heart attack, they think they're losing their mind, they wonder what's wrong with them, they worry it's going to happen again. I didn't. I knelt down and I thought, so this is what a panic attack feels like, huh? And I studied it. Boy, is that ridiculous? I studied it. I went and I sat down behind the bleachers for about a half an hour till it went away. Because you, you can't run on adrenaline forever. You're going to run out. You're going to calm down. I figured out later I hadn't eaten in 24 hours, so my blood sugar had gotten so low that it triggered this. What would have happened, Jack, <clears throat> if I would have said, oh no, that was the most awful thing I've ever experienced? What if it happens again? What if I'm playing ball? What if I'm eating at a restaurant? What if I'm on the interstate? What if I'm giving a speech? What if I'm on the air with Jack Rasula? What happens if I have a panic attack? And then I get anxious about being anxious. And when our Lord said, don't be, what he was saying was recognize you have much in your power to deal with these things. I think that's what he meant. Chapter 16, Dr. Ray, the J word. People of faith get accused. They have relatives who get angry at them or who critique them because of their moral stances. They will say to me, I don't say anything. I don't offer a word about how they're living. I know how I believe. They know how I believe. I don't go there. Why do they accuse me of being judgmental? And I'll say, because they know how you think and they don't like how you think. So that's the first thing. People who have moral standards get accused of being judgmental, even if you keep your mouth shut. That's one. But the second thing is this, Jack. I had a Bible study in a county jail. The guys in this study had nothing compared to my childhood. They didn't have loving parents. They didn't have a moral upbringing. They, they fended for themselves when they were six years old. So they ended up in jail. And I thought to myself, yeah, I, I could judge them. I could say, wow, they're, they're in big trouble with God. But I'd better not, Jack, because all of the ingredients in their life, if you put those ingredients in mine, I could end it up the very same place. So when our Lord says, don't judge, what he's saying is you have no idea what was involved in making someone who they are. I'm in therapy, Jack, for folks all the time. You can't believe the ugliness I hear. Somebody coming into my office and initially telling me what they've done, it sounds horrible, it sounds black. And then they tell me about their life, their childhood, what they experienced, what they didn't experience. And I think to myself, oh my, I don't even know if I'd be as well wrapped as they are given what, what I could have gone through like that. So our Lord says, don't judge. You don't, you don't know a fraction of what's going on with folks. All right, one more chapter 17. Give and you'll get. They've done a lot of research in psychology, Jack. And this is the interesting about Jesus, the master psychologist. In some places, psychology says he was right, even though they don't acknowledge Jesus as the source of that. In some places, Jesus completely clashes with modern psychology. Well, one of the places that psychology agrees with Jesus is they found out that people who are more generous 
are more content. They found out that the more you serve, the more you give of yourself, the more you give of your possessions, you actually benefit much more than the person you're giving to. Well, isn't that interesting? Our Lord says, be generous, give, look for opportunities to share. And psychology says, he's right. We've got research to back him up. Jesus doesn't need research to back him up, but psychology came around. That was a critique of the various chapters of his latest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Doctor, growing up when we were kids, our home was a dictatorship. Today, it's a democracy with so many families. How do we get here and how do we change it? It was a loving dictatorship, Jack. It wasn't a my way or the highway punk. It was a I love you, but I'm the parent and here's the standards. And there was, I believe, from what I've seen, from what I've read, much more confidence from our parents than from young parents. There's two factors I think that have really thrown parents for a loop. One, the culture is no longer on their side. This is not a farm in 1880, Jack. This is a place that constantly assaults children with all kinds of notions that are self-destructive and immoral. That's one. And plus they make it look very, very appealing. The other one is this. The other one is me, the shrinks. We're everywhere. We're putting out thousands of books and articles and we are implying there are psychologically correct ways to raise children. And if you don't do it right, don't, don't blame me because I tried to warn you that your kid was going to be on Springer in the afternoon talking about you. That's what's happened. We've made parents so skittish and so nervous and so unsure of themselves and we've destroyed their authority all in the name of psychological enlightenment and it's not working at all. Dr. Ray, I admire you. You're a voice of reason and wisdom. You're a shining example of an evangelical Catholic. Keep up the great, great work. Jack, it's always great to be with you. I, I get tired of having to write books just so you'll have me on your show again. All right. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Pazula. Thanks for listening. And make it a great week. Because with God, anything is possible. Paul. Believe in yourself. Yeah.